Be Wealthy and Smart, number 113. into a world of wealth and financial freedom without budgets, boredom, or bosses on Be Wealthy and Smart. And now, here's your host, Linda P. Jones. Welcome to Be Wealthy and Smart. I'm Linda P. Jones, America's Wealth Mentor, empowering women and men worldwide to financial freedom. On today's show, I'm going to do something a little different. I'm just going to call this episode Money. And the reason I'm going to do that is because I want to cover some topics that I think are misunderstood and are important concepts about money that I'm just not hearing people talk about. So I want to make sure that I'm getting the point across to you about how you can build your wealth and these important things that you need to know about wealth building that really aren't being talked about. So first of all, I did a podcast last week about whether or not you should pay off your mortgage. Well, as you can imagine, I got a lot of response from that because there is a thought process right now, a belief system that's sort of been going around for the last several years that envelopes all debt as bad. And let me just tell you, that's not true. Debt can be used as a tool, and the wealthy use it as a tool all the time. For example, very, very high-end hedge funds where you have to be an accredited investor, uh, be worth seven figures, or have a high income to invest in these things, they use leverage. They use leverage all the time, and sometimes they use 200 and 300% leverage. So... These very wealthy investors are using leverage in their stock investments on a regular basis and consistently. So that is one example of how they're using that tool. Another example is in the real estate industry. Of course, lots of people have used debt to flip houses, to buy houses and improve their rate of return. I've explained several times on our show how leverage actually increases your rate of return. And a lot of people don't understand that. That if you put down $100,000, just as an easy example, and buy a $100,000 home, and that home goes up by $10,000 in value, that's a 10% return. But if you put down only 10%, instead of 100,000 and put down $10,000 and the house goes up by $10,000, that's a 100% return. So using the tool of debt can actually increase your rate of return. Well, why is that important? It's important because if you followed my six steps to wealth, you know step four is invest in a money engine That's something that's going to grow your wealth, something that's going to compound it for you. And step five is compound at a high rate. So you have to have an investment and you have to get it compounding at a high rate. It's all about the compounding, okay? Einstein said compounding is the eighth wonder of the world, and it truly is. This is what 
investors look at. They look at how can I compound my money at the highest possible rate? Certainly we know that at a 1% interest rate, it's going to take 72 years to double your money. So it's not going to be in a bank savings account. And this is where people lose it. You know, I talk about not buying a car except every 10 years or so. And someone emailed me and said, well, my car is 11 years old and I'm still broke. And I said, well, the other part of that equation is you have to take the money that you saved from buying all those cars and invest it. And it's the investing that is going to build the wealth. And a lot of people don't get to that investing step. They're all focused on either debt or living frugally And cutting back, cutting back, cutting back, thinking somehow they're going to cut back their way and become wealthy. And that's never going to happen. Never. Not unless the rare example of a person who has a very high income and can save their way to wealth. A doctor or somebody in the tech industry, perhaps. But the average person needs to be saving money and investing money in order to build a net worth. You just have to do that. And you can use debt as a tool to do that. And I think mortgage debt is a very smart way to do that as long as it's at a fixed rate. You don't wanna be getting into an adjustable rate mortgage. I had someone I was talking to last week who's having trouble getting a small business loan to buy another business. And she said to me, oh, I've got all this equity in my house. I think I'll just go take a mortgage loan and use that to buy this other business since this SBA loan is taking so long. And I said, well, she said, you know, rates are at, you know, 1% and then it's this for one year and then this for four years. And I don't think I'll need it more than four years. And so, you know, that would be really cheap money. And I said, well, you know, you might not need it for only four years. I mean, you might need it only four years or you might not need it for only four years. But in case you need it for longer, why don't you get the fixed rate mortgage, even though it's three and a half percent, four percent, maybe a little bit, you know, more payment in the early years, but you'll never have to worry about interest rates going up. You'll never have to worry about the rate changing. You'll never have to lose sleep over having exorbitant interest rates that you're having to pay. And since interest rates are now heading up again, and we've already started with the Fed making their first quarter point hike last year, and they didn't make theirs in March, but they are looking at possibly April or June. So we know rates are going to be going up again, and they're looking at maybe two moves this year, so another half a percent of rates going up. And so I said, you know, why don't you just lock in the fixed rate mortgage. That way, you don't have to pay it back in four years or five years. You can keep it for as long as you want. It's cheap money. Literally, I think we're going to look back years from now and say, what was I thinking? Why didn't I load the boat with debt at three and a half percent? It's so inexpensive. It takes a long time to compound at three and a half percent to turn into any huge number and be detrimental to you. At three and a half percent, it's just not going to happen for a long, long time. So it's, it's, and it's tax deductible if you're itemizing. So it's a completely different story than when we talk about credit cards. And yet, mortgage debt has been lumped into debt as being bad. And people are thinking, oh, I don't want any debt and I want to pay off my house. Well, in my last podcast, I showed how that could be a $2 million mistake over 30 years. 
If you invest the money instead, it's a no-brainer. You're going to make more and you're going to build more net worth. It's a huge mistake to take that lump sum and pay off your mortgage, in my opinion. Now, having said that, of course, investing isn't perfect. I've been talking about I'm expecting some difficulty in the market. In fact, we're in cash right now at my VIP experience group because I'm expecting that we're going to have a very severe downturn in the market, much like 2008. And so don't you know judge what happens in the short term by what may happen over the next 30 years. We may have a very bad correction in the market coming up here, but we may also over 30 years do extraordinary well as we have historically. So you have to look at the long term. But having said that, I do want to make the point that I do expect we are going to have a sharp uh, pullback sometime in 2016. So it was interesting, again, because I got a letter, an email from a listener. And I want to read it to you because it just goes to show more of that thought of all debt is bad and why people are really getting caught up in that. And it, it, it's not the right way to think to build wealth. To build wealth, look at where is the cheap money? What, what is inexpensive? What is low priced money? Three and a half percent money is not going to compound rapidly enough to grow into a huge number like a credit card at 20% or 25% that some of these cards, I don't know how they get away with that, but some of these cards compounding at that rate of interest annually is just terrible. So I totally agree, pay off your credit cards, but when you've got a home mortgage at three and a half percent, I don't think so. I think it makes sense to have the mortgage. So here was what Mark wrote, one of our listeners. He said, what opened my eyes was the value of some debt. Even though I knew the basic principle, eliminating my debt changed my life so much, I basically viewed all debt as bad. My 32-year-old daughter bought her first house two years ago and has been aggressively paying it off. She is down to $72,000 of a $92,000 note. She also puts $300 in her savings monthly. After listening to episode 10, I called my daughter and said, it's time to refocus her energy towards nest egg building slash investing and not be in such a hurry regarding her mortgage. She was shocked to hear me say certain types of debt are good. My advice for her was to start listening to your show. Thank you. I appreciate that. Then we can start revisiting her overall plan. I also admitted as her investment guru, I consider myself a two on a scale of one to 10. And in time, she would benefit from a more educated perspective. We are going to talk next week after she gets through episode 10. I will listen to every one of your shows. I wanted to learn as much as I can. Even though I'm in preservation mode, I feel I have enough to live a good lifestyle with modest returns till I die. I do want to reassign some of my assets in the near future. I could go on and on. Your insight is so valuable, and I wish more people took the time to listen. More than anything, I can't wait to retire. The cool thing is my plans changed drastically after listening to your show. On day one of retirement, I plan to follow your six steps. I already downloaded Flipagram. I plan to start with it each day. I'm also so excited about harnessing the power of my mind. I've always believed our mind can do great things. Your message has poured gasoline on that fire not just in my financial life, but personal life as well. 
I can't thank you enough for your positive and insightful message. Mark D. Mark, I can't tell you how touched I am by this and by you taking the time to write this long letter. And there were actually two other paragraphs that I didn't share with you that were more personal information of his. But Mark, this is so meaningful. And the fact that your daughter has been brought to believe that all debt is bad, I think is a shame because there there are ways that she can invest and grow her money. And if she doesn't invest, she's not ever going to get to a point where she can be financially free. She's actually going to burden herself and not be financially free if she pays off debt instead of investing her money and growing her money. You have to get to the money engine and compounding phases if you want to have wealth, if you want to be able to afford to pay off your mortgage someday as an option, if you want to have a nice retirement, if you want to go on nice vacations and have nice cars that are not going to impact your, you know, your ability to spend because you're going to have more than enough to spend. But when you're growing wealth, when you're in these early years and you're getting your wealth building going, you can't make these mistakes of paying off 3.5% debt because in effect, you've just earned only 3.5%. Now, people ask me all the time, well, where can I grow my money? Because rates are so low, they just don't see how they're going to get higher rates of compounding. Well, I've explained how using debt with real estate can get you to higher compounding rates. That's one way. Another way is to invest in the stock market. And one of the things that you know about me is that I made $2 million by investing in the stock market. And so I think it's a fabulous way to build wealth. I've also invested in real estate at different points in my life and made a lot of money there as well. So I don't believe there's only one way to build wealth. And now with my business and my business being an online business that's scalable, now that's another way that I'm building wealth. And with the internet and the lack of expense that it costs to start a business online and to reach people online, I mean, I tell people it's, you know, you can't really wrap your head around how much things have changed, but it's like we've moved everyone into the grocery store with the internet. It's like now we are in the grocery store, but we still think we're starving to to death because we don't see how different it is to make money online, but how available it is to make money online, how inexpensive it can be to make money online and how possible it is to scale up and reach the entire globe instead of just be the corner store reaching the people that worked that lived in your neighborhood. I mean, the the changes that we've gone through since the internet has come into being are ginormous and hard to grasp. And until you actually have studied this, like I've been doing since 2008, uh, it, it, it probably doesn't make sense, or it might be confusing, or you might not really understand it all, because it is a very steep learning curve. But once you learn, and you think differently, and you find out it's possible to have your own business to do things you love and make money from it and enjoy it, and not have a grind of a job. It's a whole different way of thinking. It's a whole different life you're living. But back to the compounding and how you're going to do step five and do step four and step five in the six steps to wealth, how you're going to actually 
use that money that you're not going to pay off the debt with a lump sum and you're going to move forward. And please don't ever take money out of a retirement plan to pay off your mortgage. Please do not ever do that. If <laughs> Please leave your money in your retirement plan. Do not take it out early. Pay a penalty and tax on that money and try and pay off your mortgage. Please do not do that. That is a terrible idea. So I heard someone talking about that the other day and I just about died. So please don't do that. Okay. So here's where you're going to start building some wealth and where you're going to get some higher compounding rates in step four and five. And by the way, if you haven't listened to the six steps to wealth, they are on the podcast. Just go back to the very beginning and start listening to the early, the very first podcast that I did talk about the six steps to wealth. And really, these were the answer to how does wealth grow? How does someone become wealthy? Why are some people wealthy and other people aren't? It's, it's right in what we're going to talk about right now. It's because some people will invest and compound and other people never do. And if you don't invest and compound your money, you won't have wealth. You won't have wealth. If you invest you're compounding at a higher rate. If you are focused on paying off debt and saving, you're going to keep yourself poor. Okay, this is the importance of people really understanding that this pay off all the debt mindset is just not right. It is not right. So here is an example I was giving to my VIP experience. This weekend, this past weekend, I got my investors business daily in the mail, like I always do, well, delivered to my house. It was dated Monday, March 21st, and it had a special section in it called 2016 Best Mutual Funds. What it did was it showed the top five performing mutual funds in 12 categories, and it compared them to an index as the average to see whether you know how much they had outperformed. So for example, it showed the S&P 500, our 500 largest companies in the U.S. Over the last 10 years, the S&P 500 index has earned 7.31%. And the best performing large company fund, mutual fund, earned 12.18%. So that means on a $10,000 investment, if you invested it in the S&P 500 index or S&P 500 exchange traded fund, ETF, it would have grown to $20,248. If you had invested it, that $10,000, in this best performing large cap mutual fund that earned over 12%, instead of $20,000, that mutual fund would have grown to $31,000. So that was over a 10-year period, you'd have $11,000 more money just by being savvy with where you're investing and making sure you're compounding at a higher rate. Now, let's look at this over 30 years because compounding really gets powerful when you can do it for the long term, when you can do it over your whole lifetime. So the numbers would be even more dramatic. So let's take that $10,000 and over 30 years invested in the S&P at 7.31%, it would grow to $83,024. That same $10,000 invested for 30 years in this mutual fund at 12.18% would grow to not $83,000, 
but to $314,385, a gain of $231,361 more. So you'd have $200,000 more by making a simple decision not to be in an index or an ETF, but if you could pick a very well-performing mutual fund. Now, there's no guarantee that this mutual fund is going to continue to outperform the S&P. However, if this manager has a good record and this manager is the same manager going forward, then you have a good shot at that. So what's really cool is that this episode was really talking about wealth building and gaining more through compounding. And this special report within Investors Business Daily. And honestly, I really should be a paid spokesperson for these people because (laughs) I love them so much. So, but I'm not. So you can see that you can get higher returns. So I'm going to grab my paper right here and I'm going to look at some of the other returns that they have in this report. Now, I will say one of the things I disagree with on in this report is that the benchmark average index that they used isn't always the right one or the one I would recommend that they used. So for example, you have to compare apples to apples. If you're comparing large companies and large company mutual funds, then of course you want to use the Standard & Poor's 500 because that's our index for large companies. But if you're talking about small companies or medium-sized companies, you don't want to use the S&P 500 as the benchmark. And unfortunately, they did use it as the benchmark in this article, in this report. So, you know, I'm not happy about that. They could have used some other indexes that would have been more appropriate and apples to apples with small companies or medium-sized companies. So that's my one little bone to pick with them. But otherwise, what's really cool to see is that there are high, higher compounding rates to be had. I mean, interestingly, there is a biotech fund that's averaged 16.93% for 10 years. That's a sector fund, and you're obviously not going to put all your money in that. I would only recommend 5%, 10% maximum of your portfolio, perhaps. But here's the thing. I just want to show you that it's not always about ETFs because lately I think a lot of people just think, oh, put your money in ETFs and just get the index, whatever the index does, and you have lower expenses, so it's better. No, it's not. (laughs) What's better is the higher compounder. That's what's better. And if you're getting enough to pay you for paying a higher fee, then it's worth it to pay the fee and get the higher compounding. Because for example, uh, in this analysis of sector funds, they use the S&P 500 as the benchmark, which I'm not, again, comfortable with them using that as the benchmark because I don't think it's apples to apples. But if they had some sort of a biotech index that they could have used as, as the average That would have been good to see. But what they did was they showed the S&P averaged 7.31% for 10 years and Fidelity Select Biotech Portfolio 16.93. So what's interesting is just that you you could have been compounding at that 16% rate for 10 years. That's pretty cool. Um, Here's some other things. They've got um, small cap funds averaging 10, 13%. Um, 
some of the international funds averaging 10, 11, 8, 8 to 11%. Now they're, they're using the correct index, the MSCI EFA index, which only returned 3% per year for 10 years. So again, getting 8 to 11%, you're significantly outperforming with some of those investments. Um, I'm not a big fan of bond funds right now because uh, bonds are inversely related to interest rates. And as interest rates move up, bond valuations will move down. So even though the track records on bond funds look fabulous looking in the rearview mirror, looking forward, I'm not a big fan of, of owning bond funds because you're going to have a headwind instead of a tailwind because you're going to have interest rates going up and bond valuations going down. So those are just some of my thoughts I wanted to share with you about wealth building, about debt. It's not that there's always a hard and fast answer. I understand some people are really uncomfortable with debt and don't want to have any debt. But I also understand if you want to be able to afford the things you want in life, if you want to have some net worth, if you want to grow some wealth, you're going to have to invest. And if you have all that money in your house sitting there, maybe not making any money for you, I mean, maybe housing continues to go up, but it might be at a peak here or close to a peak, especially with interest rates rising. I think we're somewhere close to a peak on housing here with rates rising because that will impact pricing of houses as money becomes more expensive. Housing prices have to come down. People can't afford to buy as much house if they have to pay more in interest. So it's slow right now at a quarter point each hike, but eventually they're going to get rates normalized at some point. And when that happens, it will impact the housing market. So I do think that I want you to be clear about, you know, how you're going to go and build wealth and why this, this idea of uh, paying off debt and that all debt is bad is just not good for you. Now I'm rustling my papers here. Sorry about that. Uh, but I just wanted to share all of that with you. And if you want to go pick up the Investor's Business Daily uh, edition, March 21st, that would be a good one to pick. Again, it's the best mutual funds of 2016. Really good report. Uh, it shares all of that with you. So that's why I call this episode just money, because I wanted to talk about my thoughts about money, my thoughts about wealth building, my thoughts about debt, and why we're on the wrong track to think all debt is bad. I think that's a dangerous course for people. And if you don't get started investing, you won't have wealth. We'll have a generation of people that don't have any wealth if they don't invest. So we can't just be savers and non-debt payers. We have to be investors. And that's the key. So I want to also thank Mark for his great review. And if you'd like to leave a review for the podcast, I would so appreciate it. I value these so much. They make a huge difference. If you love the show, I'd love to hear from you and receive your review. It helps get the word out to your friends and family and to new listeners and helps them find us. Go to lindapjones.com forward slash review. You can remember that, my website forward slash review. That will take you to the iTunes page and you can leave a rating and review. Just click on rating and reviews and you can leave one there. And we are uh, almost to 100 reviews. I'm really trying to get over 100 reviews. So that would be really great if you would leave a review for me. I'd so appreciate that. 
This episode has been sponsored by the Be Wealthy and Smart VIP Experience. It's a community I started to give you the cheat sheets and cliff notes of investing and wealth building. You can find out more about it at lindapjones.com forward slash VIP. That's all for this week. Until next time, live the good life and be wealthy and smart. Thank you for listening to Be Wealthy and Smart with Linda P. Jones. Share the wealth and tell your family and friends about the show. Check out our website, blog, and social media for more riches at www.bewealthyandsmart.com.